We as a community need to believe in each other. Today on Context, Canada has a problem. The number of people living in poverty in Canada is staggering. Every month in our prosperous nation, one million people access food banks. 40% of people who live in poverty are single mothers. But Canadians are fighting back. In the past five years, the poverty rate has started to decline and one million Canadians have climbed out of poverty over the last three years. Today, we'll look at methods to combat chronic poverty. So many people struggle on a regular basis trying to find their way out of poverty. We take you first to Alberta, where the economic downturn there has seen what some are calling a rise of the nouveau poor. Okay, let's get started to Alberta, where six years ago the oil sands seemed unstoppable, providing an abundance of good-paying jobs trickling through the economy and then suddenly a drop in oil prices in 2014 and conflicting energy priorities since has meant thousands of jobs lost. Context contributor Matthew Embry joins me now from Calgary. Matt, thank you. Give us a picture of the nouveau poor Albertans are wrestling with. Well, here in Alberta, the term nouveau riche is something we've heard for quite some time with so many people becoming millionaires here in Alberta. In fact, in Calgary, there are more millionaires per capita than anywhere else in Canada. But now, with the economic downturn, we're dealing with people who are really struggling financially. But it's important to keep in mind, there's a big difference between financial struggles and actual poverty. Okay, explain that a bit, because uh, we think there must be a crisis underway because these well-paying jobs have been lost. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a number of jobs. I mean, tens of thousands of, uh, of jobs are being lost, and people are, fin are financially struggling. But let's keep in mind, here in Calgary, per capita, people had the highest incomes and the highest disposable income uh, in anywhere else in Canada. And now these families um, who are making these you know, really high salaries are now starting to shift. Now, to be under around $40,000, is that's where it's, it's deemed to be uh, heading towards poverty, and that's still around 120,000 people in Calgary who are struggling with that. Okay, so that's a very different kind of poverty than unemployment. That's chronic. How are social services coping with that increase in people in need? Yeah, I mean, we spoke to a, a couple of social services, and there is a, an influx of people who are starting to starting to come. But with with less money coming into the province, it's getting harder and harder for the social services to be able to give the support they need. Okay, Matt, let's take a look then at one of the organizations you met with, and how families, specifically children, can get help. How we define poverty? A, it's a poverty of resources, not just money. People focus in on the money, but it's a poverty of spirit, a poverty of hope, a poverty of those things. Ambition maybe. How do you get out of the situation? The poverty of the ability to actually believe that you can change the circumstances you have. So are there more circumstances and other factors that lead to poverty other than just the economic downturn? Huge, huge. It really starts at early childhood development and if you're not getting the love and care and attention that every kid needs to fully develop as a human being, they're going to be struggling for their whole lives. Have you seen this before? No, it's uh, the economic downturn is not solely responsible for what's going on. It's embedded within how we work as a community. And it's embedded in the fact that families need to come together and help each other really well and overcome the early childhood adversities that are happening, which I think is the basis of how uh, it's intergenerational, this poverty happens. 
Now, when you look across Canada, is it worse in Alberta now with the economic downturn, or how would you classify that? I would say it's worse in Alberta, the economic downturn, because of people turning to substance abuse to help them overcome the pain that's in their lives. Their hopes and dreams are going, uh, they turn to something else, and then families fall apart. And then the worst thing for that is then the kids get impacted by it, and then they get, their whole life trajectory is hurt by this thing. What can people do to help? Uh, first and foremost, uh, love your kids and love your family and help those that are in need. Um, carry on. We, we as a community need to believe in each other. We're all Albertans here and we're working towards finding the solution. We're in this together and we will solve this together. Okay, thanks for that, Matthew. And you also spoke with Major Al Heft of the Salvation Army. Uh, he had a different perspective on the economic downturn. Let's take a look. Uh, we've been working with people on the margins in our communities for over 150 years. And we understand that we as communities need to always have ways that we come alongside and support and encourage and help bring everybody else along. It's not enough for a community or, or a culture or, or a society to thrive and be economically vibrant if we are not bringing everybody along with us. Now, in the last few years, Alberta in the West has suffered an economic downturn. What effects have you seen? Well, certainly we've noticed the economic impact uh, throughout this whole time. We've seen so many more people who have never come to us for assistance suddenly showing up on our doors and realizing that they need some support. Um, at the same time, that these are folks that maybe along the way have supported the work that we've done and helped others. And uh, so th there are fewer and fewer people who able to support the work that we're doing and more and more people needing that work. Now, how does something like a layoff affect a person that, to the point that you may see them in your work? Well, it not only impacts them economically. I mean, everybody understands that point. There's going to be an economic issue. But then there's also a self-esteem issue and a, a self-confidence issue. And people suddenly, you know, they don't, they don't necessarily have the, the capacity to get back up off the mat anymore. Now, we've had, you know, tens of thousands of layoffs. Is there a big difference between a family that's struggling financially, say, paycheck to paycheck versus poverty? Absolutely. I mean, just dire poverty is one thing, and the resources that are available, people you know, reach out to them and they learn how to take advantage of those um, and, and where to turn to find supports in those times. And poverty is so hard to, to dig out of, right? And so many people struggle on a regular basis trying to find their way out of poverty. Where do you find the hope and what can the average person do to help? Well, obviously, I mean, I'm a, I'm a minister of the gospel. I'm that's a Salvation Army officer. I'm ordained. I'm a clergyman. I've been a Christian my whole life. I find hope in the gospel. I find hope in the reality that I believe in Jesus, that we have hope, that there's an eternal hope, but that there's hope for today and hope for tomorrow. Statistics Canada reports close to 9% of Canada's population lives in poverty. And Leilana Farha of Canada Without Poverty joins us from Ottawa. Uh, Lilana, Canada's poverty rate includes half a million children. Help us understand what their lives are like. Yeah, well, one of the biggest expenses that low-income families have is housing. So if you don't have a lot of money and you're trying to find housing in Canada, it's very difficult. So what do you end up doing? You end up compromising on quality and space in particular. So you end up having a lot of people living in rather overcrowded conditions. Um, and you have families having to really scrimp and save on food, uh, keeping temperatures really low in 
the household during winter so that you're not incurring too many um, expenses around heating. Um, so a very pressure cooker kind of experience. And you can imagine for a, a young person in elementary school or high school, trying to get their homework done under those conditions, right? Not easy. Trying to um, participate in community events, et cetera, sports, not easy because there's no extra income for those sorts of extracurricular activities. You also have uncovered research that people are being pushed out of the affordable places in cities, which has been home for people. What did your documentary work uncover about cities not being able to cope with the need for affordable housing? It's actually a global phenomenon, but it's really playing itself out in cities and, you know, not just the big cities in Canada, but even smaller cities like Windsor and Hamilton and Peterborough and um, et cetera. Um, what's happened is we have a new housing landscape. We have big financial actors playing in the housing system. What they're doing is they're buying up by the thousands units that they deem to be undervalued or affordable by you know common parlance. And they're moving in, they're purchasing these uh, units. They're doing often cosmetic renovations or renovations that really are, are not necessary to, to the properties. They're using that as a vehicle for raising rents. And that's putting even more pressure on low-income families who are then either self-evicting because they realize, heck, I'm not going to be able to pay this rent, or... Um, they fall in arrears and then they're evicted. And, and then they're faced with, you know, having to look around, well, where am I going to live? They're being pushed out of their, their communities and their neighborhoods because there is nowhere that's affordable. Um, it's a real crisis in this country. And it's one that I'm not sure um, is really being grappled with uh, by governments at different levels in the way that, that should happen to remedy the problem. Okay, so housing is one problem. The poverty levels are actually shocking. When you think of well over 3 million Canadians, a family of four living on less than $3,000 a month, that's what the poverty rate is, is around, what are they doing without? You know, the cost of food in this country is going up. Um, and, and, you know, the alarm bells were raised about that. So people are really being pressured on both sides of, you know, the most important things, All housing, right. food. Thank you, Leilani Farha from Canada, Without Poverty and UN Special Rapporteur on the Right to Housing. Thank you for joining us today. Marna, thanks. Down on your luck? Tough luck. Should have worked harder, been less lazy, been better, been a better person, been born luckier, better yet, never been born at all. And if that's what you believe, this world gonna stay the same. More than half a million people in Canada's largest city live in the grip of poverty. You just saw a clip there from Young Street Mission, a Toronto organization that for 124 years has been helping people dig out from under the poverty line. Context producer Hannah Vanderkoy spoke with the mission president about how Christian community can do more to help and specifically single mothers who are hardest hit. If you think about the condition of poverty in the city today, the biggest barriers, and you see them in, in reports that come out, are housing, employment, and daycare. Most of the new rental units that have been created in the last 15 years in Toronto have been condos that people are renting out. What if the Christian community collaborated and decided to start renting units that they own 
for less than market rent. And then what if we actually got together and advocated for a tax credit for people that did that so that more and more people would do that? How many housing units could we unlock without even laying a single brick? Like overnight, we could be a big part of the solution to a problem the city can't solve. So that's one, employment. Every church has something sitting empty Monday to Friday. It's a nursery, right? Sunday school. Daycare is the biggest barrier to single moms getting employed. Single moms in Toronto, 40% of them are living in poverty. 49% of children living in high-rise buildings in Toronto are living in poverty. If we think about the biblical mandate to care for the widows and the orphans, our numbers aren't good. And if we could figure out a way to work together to leverage these assets that are sitting vacant in churches all across the city to help a mom get back to work, think about the power that that would have. Coming up, a unique cafe that exchanges dollars for buttons to give people in need a hot meal and a sense of community. That's just ahead. Well, the vision of our next guest organization is to ensure that no one goes hungry in Canada. Chris Hatch, the CEO of Food Banks Canada. Welcome to Context. Okay, the numbers are staggering. You are serving 1.1 million people every month. So every month across Canada, we have 1.1 million visits to food banks across Canada. So all the food banks in Canada, we add up all the people going to the food banks each, each month in the month of March. We had 1.1 million visits last March to food banks in Canada. That is one in 30. That is, look around you, you know somebody who has gone to a food bank. One in 30 people in Canada have had to use a food bank in the last month. Let's talk about who they are. That's correct. I mean, what's, what's really, the numbers are not up dramatically from year over year. They're relatively flat, but who makes up that 1.1 million visits is really what's quite startling. Okay. First of all, almost half of them, so f almost 48% of them, are single adults living alone. And they, when you look at the Canada, where we only have 28% of the population of single adults living alone. So single adults living alone are overrepresented when it comes to food bank use. And, and who are these individuals living alone? Let's talk about High risk to be single, it sounds High like. High risk, because income. And the seniors, you've got, we're seeing a huge increase in the number of seniors using food banks in Canada. So 7% of the food bank visits were seniors, which we define as anyone over age 65. And it's the largest growing group, age group in our, in our uh, food bank use are seniors. Okay, a few other shocking statistics from your food report. Um, here we've got them up on the screen. Uh, it's children as well. So seniors all the way to children. Then uh, what you're seeing is this huge issue of food insecurity. Define what food insecurity is. It's a term you hear used a lot, and it really means that people don't, may, may not have the means to know where their next meal is coming from, may not have the income to get the food that they, the nutritious food that they want to eat, or culturally appropriate food. It's really worrying about, I don't have enough money for my next meal, or an appropriate meal, or having to skip a meal. Wow, four million. Next stat here from the food, uh, your, your food report. Um, five million meals served every year. I don't think we realize that it's also a place to eat, not just a bank. 
to e withdraw. Exactly. A lot of our a lot of our food banks and food programs are hot meal programs. There are breakfast programs for kids before school. There's, we're being asked to do more and more lunch programs across Canada. Okay, so that's the reactionary, uh, right. all of that traffic walking in. But there's another whole side to Food Banks Canada. You want to see Ottawa moving on this. So there's an activism component. Politically, what are you lobbying for? So that's right. That's part of my mandate is to reduce the need for food banks in the future. And so we have people in Ottawa who report to me who help work on federal policies. So we're looking at a couple things. First of all, we're looking, we're advocating for a subsidized, standardized daycare system across Canada. Because more and more people are spending so much of their income to get their children into daycare, they have no money left over and therefore they end up going to the food banks. And so working families need better childcare. Well, the cost of me, look at the average cost of childcare in Canada is $10,000 a year. In Toronto, it's $20,000 a okay. year. I don't think many people realize that when we're talking about a national subsidized daycare, that it's the food bank that's lobbying for that to happen. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, we th and it also gives children a jump start. As you said earlier, a third of the people coming to visit food banks in Canada, so a third are children and youth. And so, again, overrepresented. You only have, you only have roughly... You know, 19% of Canada is made up of children and youth, yet you've got 34% food bank use among children and youth. Okay. So, again, a shocking statistics uh, in terms of who, who's behind the numbers. Okay, uh, Chris, thank you very much. Chris Hatch, the CEO of Food Banks Canada. Uh, a sobering reminder that one in 30 in Canada need the help of a food bank. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Thank you very much. But let go of this backwards thinking for a minute. Skip ahead to a better future where we actually lent a hand to our fellow man. He lived in the shadows, now he holding his head high. All because he got a second chance. Well, now to another special poverty response, the 5-for-1 Eatery and Exchange. It brings together people who are rich and poor. Context producer Christine Yu takes us there. We chose this area because back then and still, Ward 3 is an area with um, high, high social needs. This area is also is an area of resilience, of um, amazingly tough people, um, of people who have lived here for years, mixed in with the folks who are pretty transitional. It helps with uh, underprivileged people and adults that are dealing with uh, uh, mental health issues. 541 also has a button system in place. Tell us a little bit about that. When you go and buy a coffee, you might also buy a button and the button costs you a dollar. And that button will go into the redeemed buttons jar. It's very theological, this. Um, and then anybody else can come, you if you forgot your purse that day, can come in and buy up to $5, five buttons worth of anything on the menu. And you can come back tomorrow and do exactly the same thing, so long as there are buttons in the job. There's few coffee shops or places where you're able to have the exchange of people that um, are struggling with different things or just face a different side of life. Our volunteers amaze me because they don't have to be here. I think we don't often get the experience of being laborers in God's vineyard. When you hand a cup of coffee to somebody who is cold, just come off the street, as perhaps having all kinds of difficulties in their life, you've made a difference. We have folks who, have, who are dealing with all sorts of difficult things in their lives, and some days it's easier to hold it together than others, and we're kind of okay with that. We've certainly been able to see the rise of crystal meth as a, as a su substance of abuse um, and the havoc it wreaks in people's lives, and certainly we see the effect of 
the lack of affordable housing in Hamilton, it's in everywhere, but it's certainly in Hamilton, so that our folks are either transiently housed or not housed at all. And um, that's pretty awful. You know, sleeping on the railway tracks or sleeping on the escarpment or hoping there's a shelter bed or sleeping on somebody's sofa that they don't know how safe it is. That is no way to build a life. And then we wonder why mental illness is such a big problem. The only place I feel comfortable coming to alone because I don't feel alone when I get here. How can people help to keep this place running? People could come volunteer. Even if somebody gets 15, 20, 25 dollars a month, that provides a stability of funding that would be amazing. We make a loss on everything we sell. Um, that's just the nature of this model. It's never going to make a, a profit. We're not in this to make a profit. We actually know that this is something that we're going to lose money at. But it means we need people to partner with us to help us continue this ministry because we see it as something that's important. Still ahead, the value of a job is more than just the paycheck. Next, work is about more than money. Next time you see someone in need, do you turn, back away, avert your gaze? Or will you open your eyes and see the true threat to society that surrounds us, suffocates us, seeks to divide us if we do nothing? And join us in ending chronic poverty. Well, work is about more than money. And uh, that's the title of a study out by the Christian Think Group, Cardis, and one of the authors of that report joins us now, Brian Dykema. Where do we even begin to unpack that? In this time of looking for jobs, of poverty in Canada, work is about more than money. What do you mean? What I mean by that is that mo most people tend to think of work in terms of providing for themselves or for their family. And usually that means we think about work in terms of the paycheck. When, when are we going to get paid? We put in our time, we put in our labor, and we expect money out of that. And of course, that's an important part of it. Um, all of us work and we do need to put bread on the table. But what our report is, uh, is interested in is, what are the, the non-financial aspects of work? What do you get out of work that doesn't that's not um, covered by the paycheck? Okay, and we're looking at poverty in Canada, the incredible job losses in Alberta. Yeah. What are the health risks associated with job loss? Right, they're actually, they're actually quite profound. Um, a number of studies that, that we saw, one of them noted that um, the, the effects, the effects on your happiness related to the loss of a job were twice as bad as losing a spouse. And so when you think of that, you think of the, the, the anxiety, the stress that comes with losing a spouse and to understand that losing a job, it can be twice as bad. That just gives you a little bit of a feel for it. Being um, unemployed, yeah. down and out, looking for work yeah. is more significant than grief? Yeah, the effects of unemployment uh, are, at least that's one, one, one study shows that, but that's backed up by a whole bunch of other studies. The, the effect on mortality, so you're, you're more likely to die if you, you have a, a unemployment, if you're unemployed. Uh, risks of cardiovascular disease go way up. Uh, there's an increased uh, chance of you abusing substances, whether it's alcohol or drugs. Opioids, for instance, is one. There are a whole host of negative Human effects of unemployment. body needs to be employed. Yeah, there's something to that for sure. Yeah. When a parent loses a job, what effect does it have on the children? 
yeah, that too is a negative, a negative effect. Um, what often happens is the, the negative effect comes in a variety of different ways. You see it in increased uh, domestic abuse. So often when, when somebody loses a job, the instances of abuse go up in the household. Divorce uh, goes, goes well up in, in cases where there are uh, long-term unemployment. Um, and these things have negative effects on children and they're often intergenerational. You see them two or three generations down the road. And so when we're talking about employment, um, we understand that it has an effect not just on people's ability to pay the bills, but on themselves, their health, their families, and it goes even beyond that into their communities. You know, when we're at a social gathering, always the first question any place you meet is, what do you do? That's right. What do you do? Have we overemphasized what do you do as identity? Yeah, I think there's something to that. I think there's a, there's a sense in that many of us think of ourselves in terms of what do we produce and what kind of economic pro producer are we? I think that's a real problem. I think that, that problem shows up in, in other parts of our society, particularly when you get old uh, or if you have a disability, for instance. Um, people will see themselves as, I'm not producing anything, I'm not contributing, and therefore they think, they think negatively of themselves. We would want to speak against that. People are about more than work as well. There's, there's a lot to life other than work. It's not everything. Um, but for those who, who are able and who are able to do work, it does form a large part of their identity. And you can think about that, right? It, it provides you with a reason to get up in the morning, provides you with a routine, a community, lots of things come with it. So where do we begin as a community on trying to make this picture, employment picture, better? It, 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 like, let's talk specifically Alberta, where we have featured the great job losses, one in five men unemployed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What, what, can, what can community do? Yeah, so here's one thing, one thing to note is that we actually do in Canada and uh, our governments and in a variety of other places have a pretty good work first culture. The way we've set up our policies encourage work, some of the uh, Canadian workers benefits and so on. Um, don't penalize people for getting work and allow them to get into the jobs uh, that they need. Um, a place like Alberta though is a bit more complicated. It gets into things like resource development and whether or not um, we're providing the ability of those people, uh, those industries that provide tremendous amount of work to actually do their work. Um, those are big discussions that obviously in the news today are, are like right at the heart of the Canadian, uh, the Canadian public debate. Okay, governments are stuck on those issues. What can we as the faith community do? about the employment picture for Canadians? Yeah, I think, I think it's one thing to note is that when we're talking about as more than work, we're actually talking about what is the human nature of work, right? It, it, it's, and I think the, the, the faith community, particularly the Christian community, has a lot to say that when you're working, you're actually living out who you are meant to be. Um, there's a sense in which we were made to be uh, fruitful and to multiply. And that means um, not just, you know, as uh, people often say, in multiplying in the literal sense, but actually developing the world, taking the resources in it, creating new things, making sure we have chairs, clothes, uh, new ways of communicating with one another. That's, that's all part of that, that mandate to develop the world. The productivity is in our DNA. To some extent, that's what we're made for. That's all right. right. Okay. Brian Dykema, Vice President of External Affairs at Cardis, and uh, part of the uh, study work is about more than money. Thank you. Thank you, Lorna. Do remember the good news in today's show. Poverty has declined in Canada each year over the past five years. So those programs funded by your tax dollars for at-risk children are having an effect. But now, how about the challenge to organize our churches to help on affordable daycare and housing? Now that's a game changer for poverty in Canada. And check out our website at Contacts with Lorna to find out how you can help the agencies we featured today be a revolution. 
all of good, those good ideas are listed at Context. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye. That was our full show that's posted every Thursday on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe and hit the notification bell to get our weekly episodes and web exclusives.